to review and then, then start. So uh, we'll review just a little bit. Um, the book of Philippians is a prison epistle. So Paul wrote this from prison. I don't have a list of all the prison epistles, but this epistle he wrote from prison. And one of the most special things about this book is that this, this group of Philippians, we can read back in Acts. In fact, we read this together, I think, from Acts chapter 16. Maybe we'll start there. I think it's Acts 16, verse 6. If you look at Acts 16, 6. Um, you'll see that Paul is on his second missionary journey. And he says, uh, now when they had gone through Phygia in the region of Galatia, I wish I had a map up on the screen for you, and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia, forbidden of the Holy Ghost. That's some direction from God, right? After they were come to Mysia, they essayed to go into Bithynia, Bithynia but the Spirit suffered them not. So they're, they're in Galatia. They're, 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 Paul wanted to minister there in Asia, but the Spirit pushed them on. And actually it says in verse 8, that they passing by Mysia came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night, and there stood a man of Macedonia, and prayed him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. I like that. And come over and help us. Mm -hmm. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. It's interesting that the Spirit prevented them from ministering in Galatia, in Asia, where Paul wanted to. They had to get on a boat and go across to Macedonia. I could picture this in my mind because I looked at the map. But he had to get in a boat and go across to Macedonia, which is where Philippi is, after this church. So this church was founded directly based on the leading of the Spirit and then a vision that God gave Paul saying, come over and help us. These people that he's writing this book to are the people that came out of a church that God specifically sent a vision to him and say, come and help us. Isn't that neat? That's, that's, a, that's a pretty amazing history. And all of the things that happened when they were in Philippi, we talked about these a little bit during our first time. Um, I'm not going to go back to Acts and read all of them, but the Paul and Silas in jail, right? Being busted out of jail effectively. The jailer and his household being saved. All of that happened during this time. And so as Paul is writing this letter, and, 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 and he's, he's got to have all of this, these, this, these memories, all these things, he's sitting in jail. You can imagine when you're in jail and you're, you're, you're chained to a guard and you, you're just sitting there, right? There's nowhere you can go. There's nothing you can do. And so the things that come to your mind are the most powerful things. And... Um, this church in Philippi, uh, they loved Paul. And so they had sent a guy back to with a financial gift to minister to Paul. Uh, and his name was Epaphroditus. And so um, he actually came to minister to Paul. While he's coming to bring this gift from the church to Paul, as he's in jail in Rome, Epaphroditus gets sick almost dies. He says he gets sick and I death. And I thought that's interesting too. Um, God didn't miraculously heal him. You think about that? God allowed him, even, even in a New Testament time where there was any healings, God allowed him to get sick nigh unto death. And um, God had a purpose in that. He had a purpose in that. And so Paul's going to send him back to the church with this letter that he wrote here. So that's just a tiny bit of the history of this little letter that Paul writes and how sweet it is. The timing on this letter, I think I shared this before too. So he founded the church around, I call it AD 50. 
And then um, he writes this letter in AD 61. So it's almost, uh, the church had been in existence for about a decade since it was founded. And he's writing this letter back to this church. He doesn't have much negative. In fact, I don't think he has anything in this book negative to say to this church. Is that interesting? A church that's been going for a decade and Paul doesn't have anything negative to write back to them. That's a good testimony. In 10 years, a lot of bad stuff can happen. <laughs> and I'm sure negative things happen in their church, but um, Paul doesn't have to chastise them like he did most of the other letters that he wrote, right? Or give them stern correction. Um, the other thing we said is that Paul is going to be martyred in AD 67. And so he wrote this letter in AD 61. So just he, he, he has just six years left of life on this earth. And if you look at the writing in this book, um, he really, I mean, obviously being in prison, his life being on the line, literally, right, whether, whether he's going to be um, made a, a, a scapegoat by the, by the Jews and the Romans and fear, for fear of Christianity, or whether he's going to be set free, he doesn't know. And so he's kind of, you see this struggle in his mind as you read throughout the book where, you know, he knows he has a ministry and he wants to be here to, to minister to these people, but at the same time, he longs to be with the Lord Jesus Christ. And um, it's, uh, it, it's just a, it's a powerful thought that kind of comes over and over and over in this book. And it's interesting that he focuses so much on that, and he has just six years left of life on this earth. If we only had six years left of life and we knew that, we might live like that. Paul thought like that, and he didn't know. Wow. How powerful is that, right? I mean, he lived in light of eternity, not knowing. A lot of people, if they know they get a death sentence, the doctor says, oh, you got three months to live, man, you're going to live like you never lived before, right? Mm -hmm. But Paul lived like he, like every day was his last day. Mm -hmm. And um, it's, it's, that's not an easy thing to do because you get caught up in, in what the Bible says are the cares of this life. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so... <laughs> We we got down through about verse 11, I think, in our first time going through this. So I'm just going to quickly read us down to 11 and pick up kind of with verse by verse on verse 12. Uh, verse 1, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi, with the bishops and deacons, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Can watch out for how many times he says you. Grace be unto you, remembrance of you. Um, always and in every prayer of mine for you all. That's the, that's the, did you know that the southern lingo was in the Bible? That's the y'all. Tennessee. That's the y'all. Making request with joy for your fellowship in the gospel. From the first day until now, when he says the first day, he must have been thinking back those 10 or 11 years to when the, the, all, all that went on, right, in his mind when, when this church was founded. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. Even as it is meet or as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart. That's a, that's a key, it's stuck right in the middle of these verses, and that is probably one of the key phrases in this first section. He says, I have you in my heart. The whole focus of these, the, these entry verses, these introductory verses, is others. You notice I'm, I'm highlighting how many times he says you, you, you. You don't see I, you see you, 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 because Paul's very others-focused. They're on his heart and on his mind. Uh, he says, upon every remembrance of you, verse 3, that's, that means they're on his mind. And then verse 7, he says, I have you in my heart. That means they're in his heart. They're on his heart and, and on his mind. Inasmuch as both in my bonds, he's in prison, and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye all are partakers of my grace. For God is my record, how greatly I long after 
you. He longs to, you can say, to see you all. And we talked about this a little bit the last time. In the bowels of Jesus Christ, that's, that word speaks of compassion, deep, deep compassion. And this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. There's a popular phrase out there that um, that the world has that that says um, I think it says um, love is love or something like that. Is that right? Something like that. And um, of course that it's been it's been twisted, right? But the Bible tells us right here that love is knowledge and love is judgment. See that? It says that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and in judgment. So so true love is love that knows that has has knowledge. And, and true love has righteous or good judgment. Not all love is true love, right? We can love the right things and we can love the wrong things. That you may approve things that are excellent. That you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. So that's kind of his introductory um, introduction to this, and um, it's it it really he pours his heart out immediately to them, and uh, let's pick it up in verse twelve and dive in a little deeper. Verse twelve: I would that you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. Um, so here he pivots and he starts to talk about me. He says, I would that you should understand, brethren, the things that happen unto me. But, but look at what his focus is. He says, even the things that happen to me uh, have fallen out rather for the furtherance of the gospel. So it's still, it's still the things that are happening to him in his mind are, are, are all about the furtherance of the gospel. It's not about me. He's not having a pity, pity party. That's how he can make it through this is because his focus is never on himself. Um, in Acts chapter 20, we read that he's a prisoner in Rome. And this he, he's in Rome. This is after having been in prison for two years in Caesarea. So it's not like he's just been in prison for a couple of weeks. He's already been in prison for two years in Caesarea. He finally requests, um, because he's a Roman citizen, he requests uh, to, to be heard before, I think it's Caesar. And so he travels to Rome, of course, for that appointment. And now he's under what they call house arrest. And so what I gather from that is he's not in a prison per se, but he's jail. He's chained to a Roman guard twenty four seven in 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 a house of, of someone. I don't. I, I didn't. Wasn't able to figure out exactly where he's at. Do you know where he's at, John, specifically? Outside you know, Rome, some somewhere outside Rome. But he the, the 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 interesting thing is he's chained to a guard. I did read that the guards took six hour shifts. And so that means he gets to see four guards every 24 hours. And you can imagine that the guard is chained to him. Man, you talk about a captive audience, right? Can you imagine being chained to Paul? He wouldn't, he wouldn't let you go. I mean, I mean that would be like, uh, you'd, you'd have to listen, right? That would be something. That's just, that's something to think about. Um, Paul's all-consuming focus is the gospel. He says that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. And so rather than being a hindrance, they are a furtherance. You would think that him being in prison and chained to a guard would be a hindrance because you would think that, well, Paul should be out there preaching to thousands of people, right? But Paul says it's a furtherance. How could it be a furtherance for him to be chained to one Roman soldier? Well, he tells us, he says that, so that in my bonds, in my bonds, as I'm chained to this soldier, he says, um, in Christ are manifest in all the palace. Um, 
And if you if you flip over, let's just cheat really quick. Um, let's cheat and flip to chapter four, verse twenty-two. The very end. He says, um, he says, the brethren which are with me greet you. All the saints salute you. And then he says, chiefly they that are of Caesar's household. That's the proof is in the pudding right there by the time you get to the end of the book that there were people from the palace, Caesar's household, his family, that got saved probably during this time. And and Paul actually tells us that. God, God gave us that at the end of the book. So um, when he says that um, are manifest in all the palace, that is the proof that actually people from Caesar's own household are saved. And he says in all other places, um, there's um, there's something about the the, the, the the palatial guard, I'm not the right terms quite right, but these guards were special guards that I guess were, were in charge of him uh, because he was a very political type of um, prisoner. And so these guards were, were, I guess, a special group of guards that, 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 that were watching over him. And they had access to different parts of the palace that a lot of the ordinary guards didn't have. And so it's very possible that one of those men that was chained to him got saved. And that's got the message back to other parts of the palace. We don't know how it happened. God doesn't tell us. We just know that it happened. And um, that's the furtherance. The word furtherance is an interesting word. It's a Greek military term referring to, the, this is why I wrote this down, I like this. He says it refers to army engineers that go before the troops to prepare the way into a new territory. So there's there's a group of skilled people that have to go and build bridges, they have to clear roads, they have to do things so that the army can move in to, to sort of, not for battle necessarily, but to, to establish a area and so this idea of the furtherance has the idea of this military preparation um, which I had no idea that's an interesting interesting kind of nugget on the word furtherance Paul uses it a couple of times you'll see it pop up again um, so that my bonds are manifest in all the palace and in all other places and and the only way that they could be manifest in all other places must be because the people he touched went because he, he wasn't going right um, of course we know he was able to write and many of the brethren the Lord waxing confident in my bonds so here we go here's a secondary purpose to his bonds he says that it gave confidence or boldness to other Christians are, are much more bold to speak the word without fear and I inserted the word without fear of man so Paul being in prison and being willing to preach when when his life is on the line that just has a way of encouraging you doesn't it it's like when you see somebody else's courage it gives you courage when you see someone else is willing to just man that guy's willing can I not can I not be willing to share the gospel and to help to talk to people where I'm at um, so that's just another secondary benefit of Paul's prison time um, to speak the word without fear without fear of man and the fear of man is a crippling thing and uh, it's like uh, you know when you're a teenager you see it so prevalent you see the kids they all want same hair. I mean, I remember I was there. Y'all want to have the same clothes. Y'all want to have right. You don't. It wants to fit in. That's the whole thing. I mean, the the reason all these companies make so much money is because of the fear of man, and that's why all these brands make money, right? It's all it's all fear of man. Like you gotta like, and then it all just cycles, right? I think bell bottoms are like coming back in for like the third time in my lifetime. I swear it's like the third time in my life that bell bottoms are gonna. If, if I live long enough, they'll probably come back in like six times, right? Because there's nothing new under the sun. Styles. I mean, you can only cut pants so many ways, right? I mean, the, the thing that MC Hammer did, I think, though, that was like, I don't know if that's going to come back around. Anyways, I'm dating myself. Now. Um, 
Don't tell Pastor I invoked MC Hammer in Some indeed preach Christ. Okay, this is a really interesting verse. Uh, uh, I said I was going to try and get your, your opinions on it. So who, who, who has something to say on some indeed preach Christ, even of envying strife, and some also of goodwill. But let's keep reading this. He says, um, verse 16, the one preach Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel, what then, notwithstanding every way, whether of patience or truth, Christ is preached, I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. We'll come back and pick this apart, but how can he rejoice when people are preaching Christ out of contention? That doesn't make sense to me. Yes. Yes, and, and that's the obvious answer, but... I guess uh, God uses the foolishness of preaching, right? He, he, he uses us in spite of ourselves. Um, it, it has to be a true gospel. He couldn't rejoice if it was false preaching, right? It was just false motive. So their, their hearts were actually doing it because they were competing with Paul, or they were probably Judaizers that wanted to drag people back under the law. That was a big challenge Paul had. I mean, remember, he just dealt with this in Romans book, right? So you've got these Judaizers trying to drag people back because they're still, they were raised under the law and they still think they need to follow up. Are they preaching a true gospel? Still preaching that 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 salvation is by faith in Jesus Christ? Yes, they are. So the only reason he could rejoice is because the gospel message must still be accurate. Yeah. Which is crazy because their hearts are wicked. They're preaching with, with wicked hearts, right? But the gospel is still true, and somehow the Holy Spirit still uses it. That's crazy. Yeah, that's, that's an excellent example. Yeah, yeah. yeah. because it's, you have the name of Jesus. Yeah. The name of Jesus. The preaching is for vain and glory. It strikes it's fundamental Baptist. All strife is not on. But in the truth in his message, the deliverer forgives. And with Balaam, now Balaam wasn't, Balaam was trying to, was trying to send a false message, but God wouldn't let him. Yeah. So, two examples, isn't it? Yeah, that's good, John. Thank you. Um, yeah, it, to me, it, it, it's, it, it defies common sense. So in human terms, we think, well, if, you, if I don't mean well, it can't be well, right? But, but God. God in his sovereignty can still work. I mean, he has to, right? I mean, he chooses to work with men and with screwed up people. So God knows how to work with screwed up people. He knows how to accomplish his will, even when we mess up, right? I believe that man's saved. Does he, does he have a false gospel? Absolutely. He just pick him at random. Because in earlier days, he would say, but now this preaching is weird. It would be strife. It does divide. You know, charismatic. They preach the salvation gospel, but then chuck in all those gifts and cause all this confusion and strife. And you know, have animosity and sometimes I don't want to believe it's like I got a gift, you don't. Well, uh, yeah. Okay, that's another rabbit trail. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I had an excellent point with Jonah. When we close the book of Jonah, Jonah's still upset. Mm-hmm. He's still angry. Mm-hmm. But Nineveh's been saved. He pretty much just walked in like, all right, fine, I'll do it. And walks through the town and goes, ah, repent or you're going to get wiped out in 30 days. And they repented. And he was upset. He wanted to see the whole place burn. Jonah's a perfect example of this. To add to John, such a perfect example. Yeah. Where God saved the people in spite of Jonah's heart attitude. He only did it because God's stuck that whale there and like drove him to do it, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's really good. So um, let's go back and just look at a few other little little items here. So um, some preach Christ of envy and strife. So envy, right? Jealousy. So there was probably some competition between Paul. There was there was probably some envy there. Um, I, I don't know all of what he's he's angling at there, but um, 
it, it all speaks of the heart and strife. Strife. So, well, envy obviously is going to lead to strife, but um, you, you see that some today, as John pointed out. You can see the strife even even in sometimes in ministry, and and some of goodwill. So he contrasts that with some uh, of goodwill. The will, of course, being um, their motivation. So um, faithfully, faithfully to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Um, And then he contrasts again. He says, one preach Christ of contention. Mm -hmm. Again, again, contentions come usually because of what? Starts with a P, and then an R, and then an R. Pride, Pride, usually, right? Pride usually causes most contentions in family, in work, in church, by where it is. It's the one thing that causes most, probably 90% of contentions are pride. yeah. So you have you have pride even in the preaching of the gospel causing contention, and he says not sincerely. If it's not sincerely, then it would be what insincerely, which would be what we might call hypocrisy, not out of a true motivation. Um, their motives are not pure. Supposing to add affliction to my bonds, there's where you see that it's personal. There's somebody in the Roman church, perhaps, because we know from studying Romans all of the, 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 the Jew-Gentile struggle in that church, but there was somebody who was trying to afflict him, even in his bonds. Now, there was Alexander the coppersmith, who was like the, the arch-emesis, who was always there, biting at Paul's heels, probably... I don't know what this guy did. He must have been like one of these people that has lots of money. He was independently wealthy, so he could just go around making life difficult for Paul, right? <laughs> he was a coppersmith. Maybe they made a lot of money smithing copper. I don't know. But um, somebody else here, it says, supposing to add affliction to my bonds. I like how he says supposing because it wasn't successful. They thought they could add affliction to his bonds. But he says the other... He's contrasting again, the other of love. So the opposite of contention would be love. So so love would be the opposite of pride. Um, And um, true love does not have any hypocrisy. Knowing that I am set. This is an interesting word. So look at, um, let's look at two verses on this. I am set. This word translated I am set is also translated appointed. The word appointed. So if you look at Acts 23.11, real quick, I can turn there. Acts 23.11. In the night following, the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem. So must thou bear witness also at Rome. I'm not sure where appointed is in that verse. Um, well, it must be uh, must be stood by him. The Lord stood by him. Um, they, I, I believe a point is in First Thessalonians three three. First Thessalonians. First Thessalonians three three. That no man should be moved by these afflictions. For yourself know that we are appointed thereto. Here, here we see that he was actually appointed to afflictions. No man should be moved by these afflictions. For yourselves know that you are appointed thereto. So that's a that's another way of saying what another um, translation or another way this word was translated um, I am set or I am appointed for the defense of the gospel and, and it's interesting in, Th- in uh, Thessalonians you see that they're appointed um, to suffering and to affliction so this prison sentence this the afflictions that Paul is going through are actually appointed when he says I am set he's actually appointed 
by God to go through this. Um, and it says for defense of the gospel, that is another military term. It has the idea of a soldier that's posted in a line of defense. So you picture like a line of soldiers that are, that are posted with their arms like this, making a line of defense. Verse 18, what then? What then? I like when Paul, he doesn't do this as much in this book. Like in Romans, he does it every other verse, it seems. He says, what then? He asks the, the rhetorical question, notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice. Um, so he says, you know, you have these two, you have the, 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 the preaching of the gospel that's motivated by a pure heart of love. You have the preaching of the gospel that's that's it's contentious, there's pride, and he's almost like, what do we do about this? And Paul says, well, I rejoice. The gospel's getting out. Amen. The true gospel's Amen. getting out, but I'm just going to be happy about it. I'm going to let God deal with this. Right? You don't see him trying to jump in, and he's not going to say, I'm going to send some of my buddies over there to take that guy out. Um, that, would be, that would be Paul sort of trying to get control. That would be the typical natural man thing to do, right? He'd be like, oh, I'm going to send some guys over there, and we're going to we're going to straighten this guy out, right? There's no straightening out these, these people. Paul's chained to a guard. Um, so only God can straighten them out. Um, in pretense or in truth, that, that all speaks of the motives. And I don't want you to think that motives aren't important. I mean, God works in spite of us, in spite of our motives. But motives are still very important. Um, because ultimately what they're doing is going to be ultimately it will be for naught they, they won't continue um, you, you you know you, you you do something out of grudge or out of spite that wears you down more than it wears the other person down so ultimately they're going to be wore down and they're going to be a casualty they're going to be a relative castaway because their motivations aren't correct if your motivations aren't correct as Paul's are it will carry you to the end all the way to 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 death. Um, so don't don't misunderstand what he's saying here. Um, verse nineteen: For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Um, so don't be confused. I mean, salvation may not be the best word to translate here. I'm, I'm not sure, but it, it, it speaks more of Paul's physical safety or his deliverance. For I know that this, that this, you, you know, these, these things that are even happening around me uh, shall turn to my uh, uh, deliverance through your prayer and supply of the Spirit of Christ. It's interesting that he couples two things together. He couples prayer with the supply of the Spirit. Um, and the the result that Paul is hoping for is his own safety and deliverance. Prayer with the supply of the Spirit, um, as if the Spirit is 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 you know like nourishing, right? The supply of the Spirit. It's like nourishment. It's like it's like it's like the energy that that comes into the prayer through the Spirit. Um, verse 20, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. This is kind of Paul's humanity coming forward here, I think. And he doesn't, he doesn't express doubt, but it's like he just speaks to himself in hope, right? I mean, he He's saying here, he's saying, um, uh, according to my earnest expectation, that that earnest expectation um, is a is a is a powerful phrase. Um, I think uh, make sure I got this one right. Uh, got a cross reference to Romans eight nineteen. For the earnest expectation, John's able to quote it of the creature waited for the manifestation of the sons of God. 
It's it's this it's this hope that only the Christians have. It's this deep longing. It's it's something that just is like a burning within um, that longs for the spiritual. Um, only only a Christian, I think, can have this earnest expectation. And I like I like how they supplied the word my in there. I think it's italicized, so it's been added into the translation. And my hope. Because he's making this very personal, this earnest expectation. This is this is a deep, deep passion, and, and it's it's his hope. It's personal. It's a personal hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed. That part kind of um, jumped out at me. Paul being ashamed. Yeah, really. He had fear. I mean, for him to like for him to like grab on to that that to to, to lean hard on that spiritual supply. And and, 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 and and focusing beyond his circumstances on a hope in eternity means that he had some fear that he might cause shame, bring shame to the gospel. And that was the worst thing in Paul's life that ever could happen. I mean, if you think of it, if he brought any shame to the gospel, that would have been worse than anything else. Um, he didn't want to be, he didn't want to bring any, um, he didn't want to be ashamed. He wanted to be um, faithful to the end. And, and it also speaks of, uh, I wrote, no regrets. Yeah. If, if you, you know you've had that situation where you didn't give the gospel or you just weren't in the spirit, you, weren't, you, were, you were in the flesh, and you can think back and you just wish you could go back and do it differently, that's, that's part of it here. I don't. There's no do-overs, right? I mean, there's forgiveness, but there's no do-overs. And so Paul didn't want to, to in any way, um, look back and be ashamed on how he reacted in his life along. I mean, he was human, right? We read the Bible, and a lot of times we think, oh, this guy's some superhuman, and we put halos around like we're Catholics or something, right? And it's like... Um, no, he was a, a normal, I mean, Jesus Christ was 100% man. We forget that. I mean, he still, he still had to battle the flesh. I mean, um, and that's why Satan knew that. That's why Satan attacked him, right, with, with, with bread and pride and all the things that Satan attacked him with. Um, that nothing I shall be in the future, nothing I shall be. So he's looking at the future, he's a, Lord, give me strength. Don't let me. And in, in, in nothing, you know in Paul's mind, he's thinking even death. Whatever kind of death they're going to throw at him, whatever kind of Romans they're going to do to him, they're going to burn him. Whatever they're going to do, right? I mean, it, it's not a fun death. There was no, like, like assisted suicide. They made it as miserable as they could. And so he has to, in the back of his mind, be thinking, I don't know how this is going to end. He's back at Rome. His life is on the line. The decision's going to be made any day now, any day. And um, he's thinking, uh, don't let me be ashamed. Don't let me be ashamed. Um, but that with all boldness, you like that? He immediately, he immediately contrasts that with all boldness. Not just boldness, but he says all boldness. <laughs> As always. There you go. So now... So he gets back in the present, also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. Um, he wants to be a, uh, Warren Wearsby talked about um, us as Christians being telescopes, bringing the stars close to man. Mm -hmm. The stars are, are much bigger than the telescope, they're bigger than, right? But, but we're bringing it close to man, so man can, can view it. We are like that telescope, we are... We're just an instrument, mm -hmm. just an instrument to bring Jesus closer to man. And I think that is kind of the idea that he has here. Um, and it's interesting you think about all this. It, it, it falls right before the verse that all of us can probably quote, for me to live as Christ and for I as gain. And it's kind of sad sometimes as Christians. We pull verses out so much. And it, it's a good verse that can stand alone. I'm not criticizing that, but a lot of times when you dig in and you, you really understand everything that's around that verse, you realize that that verse comes right here on the heels of 
um, that nothing I shall be ashamed. Mm -hmm. For me to live as Christ and to die as gain. That is that is like him, sort of, you know, he takes a deep breath, and 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 you're right at the moment of, of battle, you're right at the moment of big decision, and he says, for me to live as Christ to die as gain. It's like I am staking my claim right here, and it's like it's like he's 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 throwing down the gauntlet and he's saying, for me to live as Christ to die as gain. So that's Paul, and it's really Paul's statement to himself. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's really, he's, he's, he's stating this back to himself as a proclamation. Um, I think it was, I think it was Wearsby in his study, he says, for me to live is blank and to die is blank. What he put in the blanks. For me to live is blank and to die is blank. What he put in the blanks. That's a good track. And it's good for us to think about every day. For me to live is blank, and to die is blank. The live part as Christians, we kind of say, okay, yeah, I need to be living for Christ. I need to be doing his business. The die part, I don't know, we get that one. Gain. How many Christians would say, if, if they didn't know this verse, and I said, for me to die is blank, what would you throw in the blank? Would you put gain? Probably not, honestly. Probably not. Most Christians probably would think difficult, <laughs> hard. I, I know you. You still think of death as being right, uh, <coughs> uh, something that's 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 a struggle. But he, but he uses the word gain, and the only way you can do that is to look beyond <laughs> death, right? Like like you see death out here, and you're actually looking beyond death to something that's greater. So it's just like a, a bump in the road. It's just it's just a stop along the way of where I'm going. It's not it's not this big giant door or wall or something. I, I wish I could remember the details of this, but uh, there was a, uh, someone relating a story about a pastor in China who had been persecuted by the government repeatedly. They harassed him over and over and over again. And at one point, I got to the point where. They were telling him, if you continue, we're going to kill you. And he says to the government officials, and he's relating this to a question, idea of, of sort of uh, being chained to a guard I was I, I, I missed something I was going to share um, Susanna Wesley um, John and Charles Wesley she had 19 children and this was before the days of of disposable diapers right. and like washing machine all this stuff right so you think about this woman had 19 children you think about the um, 
you think about the change that that might feel like it is someday. It literally does. You, you, you have that many children, it's going to feel like a ball and chain some days. And um, she's changed her house, frankly, in that. And then you look at her, those two boys, the, the ministry that they had, how they completely turned the, 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 the country upside down. And the right, everything that, that comes after that is all after the change. I mean, when you're in it and you're just doing it and you're changing your little junior's diaper, you can't, oftentimes you can't think, but it, it's the same thing. We have to look beyond yeah. the, the mundane, monotony of life and see something greater, something more powerful that God can do through it. Um, the furtherance. Everything we do has to be for the furtherance of the gospel. Um, Paul, uh, one other thing that this chapter shows is that Paul had singleness of mind. He wasn't divided. The double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. He was he had singleness of mind. When you're focused, I know like for me at work, email is such a disaster. It's like <laughs> in meetings, it's like you guys that are, I mean, Pastor knows this too, we've told a million directions, but it's like when you're at work, you've got this and then the email pings and someone calls and I have to drop that. I'm just trying to write this report and I'm coming back to it three or four times. It's not singleness of mind. It's like duplicitous time is like Octavius of mind or whatever that is. Right? It's like you split some ways and then you get to four o'clock. It's like, okay, it's four o'clock. I still have to get this right. done. But then it's listening at eight o'clock, right? And um, it, it's, 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 so, so in the spiritual life, it's true too, where you have singleness of mind. I can't be constantly divided and worried about everything, which I think is why the news is so bad sometimes, because mm -hmm. it, it's trying to pull us down this little yes. rabbit hole of fighting about this and fighting about abortion and fighting about that. And, and I know all those things are important, but I can't fight every battle. I've got to stay focused on Christ and focused on what he has for me to do today. And, 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 and he'll do those things as I stay focused on him, right? Paul wasn't trying to fight every battle. He wasn't even trying to fight these guys that were out contentiously yep. preaching the gospel. He was focusing on what he was doing, which was writing this letter at the moment, probably, right? Focusing on this and on this church. Um, anyway, that's a soapbox rabbit trail. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, okay, so um, verse 21, the one that we know so well. Verse 22, but if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I wot not. That's like some old English word. We need to update that one. But um, I do not know. He, what he's saying is, I do not know which choice I prefer. When he says, "What yet? What I shall? What yet? What I shall choose, I wot not." I don't know which one I shall choose. Is, is a, a simple term that he's saying. I know I need to be here. I know that I need to. I know that it's important the ministry I have in this church, but I also know that I, I, I'm not enjoying being changed as God. <laughs> so he's he's divided. Um, all right, two minutes. Um, we can do one more. Uh, for I am in a strait betwixt. To having the desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better? Which is far better? You have to remember that. Nothing in this life, no matter how much wealth and money and fame we have, is comparable to eternity, to the next life, to the spiritual things. Which is far better? I think that's the reason why most Christians don't have a lot of wealth. Um, I, you don't. You just don't see very many wealthy Christians. You see a few, but not very many. And I think it's just because wealth is so challenging to stay spiritually minded, yes. right? Because yes. you know, we struggle with the wealth we have yes. to, to not get focused every day on all the things that are going at us. Um, Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all. For your furtherance and joy of faith. Um, let's stop there. I like that. I like that part. He, he says, "For your furtherance." So, so here's the you, you saw before the furtherance of the gospel. Now he says, "For your furtherance." So it's 
it's not just like you know the gospel isn't just this amorphous thing the gospel is about changing people's lives right and so the, the whole purpose of the gospel is that it would change their lives and they could live lives that are <clears throat> beneficial now and in the future and i like the last thing he says he says joy of faith i don't know and, and really i think what he's saying is joy in your faith joy in your faith he wants them to have joy in their faith Amen. and that's super duper important today that we have yes. joy in our faith the devil wants to rob us of the joy of our faith and so if something's coming into your life that's robbing your the joy of your faith it's 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 got to get out of your life okay well i've got to ask the supply of the spirit to help me deal with it so that i can just still have joy because you paul couldn't get unchanged from the god you can't you, you still have to change diapers if you're a mother you still have to go to work if you're a man or whatever right whatever your chain is you you can't get away from it so you need the supply of the spirit to help me have joy in the midst of it and it's super super important um and the world doesn't understand because the world just tries to like um get to friday right they right. just need to get to friday get to the weekend um Okay, so we didn't make it through chapter one. Man, we get through a lot more verses than we did this time. It's not, it's not as interactive, though. It's not as interactive as sitting in the circles. This is good. Thank you for, for your thoughts and participation. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Thank you for um, just the opportunity to love it and to study it and to learn from it. Lord, now help us to live it. Uh, help us not to be... Um, double-minded, help us, Lord, not to be um, hypocritical in any way. Lord, give us a true love. Give us a pure heart. Um, may, may the things we do, the preaching we do, the, the people we talk to always be true, be real, um, and, and be of true motives, Lord, because the people will see through that, Lord. And so I just pray that you keep us true, keep us honest, keep us loving. And uh, Lord, give us your power. And give us, give us, help us to have the joy of our faith today and this week. In Christ's name.